0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Outcast from London Magpie Group. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined by friends of the show, Sean Wade and Johnny Drape Common, who is uh, currently uh, standing for election for the NUST Trust. Well, last time we spoke, gentlemen, we spoke to you, uh, Johnny, in particular, about the, the takeover. That podcast is out there for people to listen to if they want to do, discuss that or hear a bit further about that sort of thing. We'll try and talk about the ins and outs of that as little as possible uh because that's a bit of a minefield but it is relevant to the conversation that we are going to have today so i'm going to open with the, the the question that is probably a good place to start is where the hell are we at at the minute
1: i've got, I've got would- absolutely no idea where we're at um i don't think anybody really knows i think i think at the, the, the point where people start to go back on social media and start analyzing the flight of planes and um Judging the loaves of bread that lawyers are cutting and posting pictures of, uh, I think that's a good point where we have to say, I've got no idea at all. It's a
2: bit of a, when it comes to breaking the bread and box of champagne and, and brown ale being analysed, it's a bit crazy then, isn't it? Um, as far as I know, um, the buyers, um, albeit Amanda and the Rubens and PIF, as far as I know, are still interested in buying the club. Um, how far that's going to take them. I do not know it's anyone's guess, you know, it's like that, what you're just saying there, Johnny, no one really actually knows. Um, and I'm quite glad that that's the case, to be perfectly honest, because this all being played out in the media, like as of when the Wall Street broker was a bit disastrous from there, you know, with people, Amnesty International getting involved and, you know, whatever, it's just, it's, it's been a crazy old minefield. Um, and with these latest developments from this morning, coming from um, a Liverpool sort of in Manchester United background in the, in the big six clubs as it were sort of suggesting that they would like to to take hold of the Premier League and, and, and have the actual control of it and to be able to choose and, and pick who can own football clubs um, is just absolutely crazy it's just like it's another thing being thrown in the bucket of shit basically um, and, if the, and if football does go that way Then it, that's just, that, that is going to be the world gone wrong because why should clubs be able to dictate who owns them? Next, they'll be deciding on who can play for other clubs. They'll be able to dictate whether or not other clubs should pay the big six wages. You know, I mean, where where does it stop? Because if they've got the power to, to suggest and change the rules as they feel, everything that, that corruption brings with the game will be involved. Um, and it will all be secret handshakes going on left, right and centre. Um, football in itself, in my opinion, needs to be needs to have a separate governing body, and it should be out of the hands of the Premier League. Um, it shouldn't be within the FA. I think government needs to intervene um, in some capacity, and there needs to be some, some decent laws. Um, because the Premier League itself seems to act outside of business practice and business laws and you know, all this secretive stuff that we don't get to know about. There's no transparency there. And these things have to change, in my opinion, um, because it, it, it should be open and it should be transparent as to what's going on. Um, I think the the Premier League's handling of this whole takeover has been disgusting. But I also think that Newcastle United have handled this absolutely terribly as well. There's been no communication from them again as to anything that's going on. Um, The buyers have spoken to um, the Newcastle United supporters trust. They've had open dialogue with them about what's happening and about what's going on. The Premier League have had a meeting with the Trust and they've spoke and and, and been open and transparent with the fans through the Trust about where they're at with this stage. Um, And so far, we're still waiting on, on some kind of comment from the club. So why should the club not be Letting the fans know what's going on when it's the club that are dealing direct with the buyers and the Premier League, and they are essentially acting like an agent in this whole scenario. So, of past experience, can we really trust the likes of Mike Ashley and Lee Charnley um, to be an agent for selling the club um, on the buyers' behalf to the Premier League? That is, you know, in my opinion, that that is just madness. I think once funds have been established, there should be a little process with the Premier League, and they should say, all right, we've got these buyers, this would be the club's. like addition because they are reporting out at this moment in time of the Premier League. It's fair enough for them to go to the Premier League and say, right, we've found these buyers that want to buy the club. We have established that they have the funding to buy the club. Um, they've ticked all of our boxes to say, yes, um, they're the right group of people to come along and to have the necessary funds. Um, and then once an owners and directors test has taken place, the Premier League at that stage should then be negotiating or discussing direct with the buyers and at that point the club should step aside the Premier League shouldn't still be dealing only with the club at that stage of the game, surely. At that point, they should be creating new links with the new owners. And then that way, the, the information is going direct from the buyers to the Premier League and not from the buyers to the club, from the club to the Premier League. And I've got no confidence in the way that the club's being run, even down to the simple fact of, like, sort of, our previous transfer windows trying to get players over the line. Um, they haven't been able to do that with the simplest of signings. So how on earth are the club going to get the sale of the club over the line?
0: I mean, we've covered a lot of ground there in quite a short space of time, but as per usual, it's it's tantamount to a, a huge, omni shambles and the the sort of usual smoke and mirrors that is associated with modern day Newcastle United. Um, you alluded there to the uh, project big picture that came out today as part of the, the the Premier League output in terms of policy going forward for that. But importantly, you quite rightly, in my opinion, raised the the, the, the sort of role of the club and how it's been it's been quiet. We've got things like the the charging still for uh, FA Cup games and Cup games um, coming up, even season tickets, they're still and, taking money off the fans
2: for season tickets, you know, and I can't say that fans are going to return this season, you know um, I mean, I think March has been mooted now again for fans to possibly return, but in all honesty, I, I don't say that fans are going to return to football this season. I can't say how at least not all of them. So the club should should have refunded those fans. In my opinion, the club should still be sending the fans um like all the season ticket holders links for to subscribe to watch the football for free. You know, and then when it was things like the cup matches, I know it's like the EFL and stuff and things like that, but, but why are our season ticket holders who probably a, a, a good percentage of them would have been going to them cup matches because of their likely points, et cetera, et cetera, before they went on general sale? So, why should they have to pay like what is it was like 10 quid to watch a cup match? Do you know what I mean? And then on top of that, they're now going to be being charged like 14.95 per match or something like that, like in a, you know, when they're already paying a season ticket. It's just, it's crazy. And the, the clubs agreeing to this. You know, at the end of the day, the club are actually saying, oh yeah, no, that's okay to, to sell these games to our fans. And yet the club still haven't refunded. There's been no word from the club if, if fans or when they're going to be refunded for the season. It's, I think still there's fans waiting for refunds from the FA Cup matches and the, 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 the games that they've missed from last season. I don't think
1: that everyone's been re- refunded but for their games. That, that should be a massive outcry. And I, I, number one, I don't really see that much of an outcry. In, in the main when you actually think well, what is there about 35,000 season ticket holders where's mm-hmm. where's the outcry and where are we because sometimes these things go on and on for, for a couple of months and then you never hear about them again and, and that's how I feel that we're at with, with the refunds from last season as well where actually are we with this? I think that because when Thomas
2: um Cannon from Nust, when he met up with the Premier League, he um, put pressure on them to get in touch with the club to refund fans, uh, the season ticket holders, for the games that they missed out on last season. So as far as I know, that was being processed. But the FA Cup matches, um, I think what FA Cup matches, weren't they? I think there's still people still waiting
1: for refunds from them games. This um, is the thing across the board, though, where there's absolutely no justification for it, especially, mm-hmm. especially Premier League clubs and what's coming out with. If- with 14 14.95, and especially um, it's ironically to say it same with Newcastle. But they spent 35, 40 million this summer, and yet they haven't paid fans back. It's like it's like having your mate owe oh, you 100 quid, and then you see him on social media out buying a new car or something. It's it's absolutely scandalous that they're allowed to get away with it out in the open. And and the rhetoric and the questions about the past few months have been about whether we can get loan signings in you know, on deadline day. Will we be making one more signing? The, the rhetoric should not be about whether we're going to be bringing in Ruben Loftus Cheek on six months or whatever, and who really cares less. The rhetoric should be about worrying on people getting their money back, and that, that's where the that's where I'm a little bit lost as to as to, to what people's priorities are.
2: The thing is, is that, you know, again, the club aren't forthcoming. We've given the fans answers, you know. And I know that the Trust have been sort of trying all avenues to get answers. And that's why, in the end, they went to the Premier League and they said, look, this is not right, you know. Fans still haven't been refunded. So then, and it was the very next day that the Premier League, or it could have even been that evening, but by the next day, the club, then released a statement out saying that the fans would be refunded for, for the games that they missed out on last season. Um, But then they still didn't put a, a, a freeze or a holiday freeze on, on season tickets. So fans are still paying. Like, I mean, most fans have paid up all of this season in full because a lot of them don't forget people who were on monthly direct debits Um, that were set up to pay for the season. That paid, Them paying started in January. So normally they would, like January, February, normally they would be paying for, like half of next season's or during that season, you know. But a lot of people, there was some kind of technical uh, malfunction where instead of people just paying a, a normal payment of a, a monthly direct debit, they were actually charged in full for all of next season's ticket. Some of them swallowed the cost, and this was on the outbreak of lockdown and coronavirus and everything. Some of them swallowed the cost of that with all of the un- unsurety as to will I have a job in the coming months, you know. But they've still paid for a product that they're not receiving. You know, and, and really, it's 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 just so bonkers that the club aren't even communicating with this. I mean, when you're sp- sort of speaking about a, a fans liaison officer, you know, um, Lee Marshall has that title, but he's also, I think, head of the media, or he was. I've got no idea what, what titles he's got at this moment in time, because um, he could have a new title. Um, it seems that he, he's sort of like it's playing... five a, a, or six of them, yeah. Uh, it's ridiculous. And, but like, really speaking, he's supposed to be uh, the SLO, and... Is not actually fulfilling his job in doing that. It's like a tick box because the Premier League say that every club must have a fans liaison officer. So it's kind of a tick box on on the club's part to say that Lee Marshall is is doing that role. But obviously, there's a lot of sort of contradictions between the communication from the club. That
0: it's an alleged suggests... conflict of interest, isn't it? Really, that's what yeah, you're, you're yeah. looking at with those occupying both those mm-hmm. positions simultaneously. I mean, I suppose with is there not a devil's advocate argument to say we're, we're within unprecedented times? We look, relatively speaking, at the the transfer window just gone. The needs of the team have been addressed. Is that not what matters to people? Or is that too simplistic an argument to take? I don't think that we are in unprecedented times now. I think we
2: were in unprecedented times three months ago when nothing like this had ever happened. But now we've had three months to kind of get used to it, so it's not unprecedented, it's happening, it's already happened. It can't be reflected on as unprecedented now because everyone's had time to adjust to it. But let's not forget, you know, while the club are taking season ticket money off fans and everything else, they also um, have 80% of their staff on furlough. So the club isn't even paying the club's staff wages because we, the taxpayer, are, are, are paying... For the staff at Newcastle United, they're the only Premier League team that has, like, I think it's it's somewhere between seventy and eighty percent of the staff on Ferno. So, like, the club isn't out of pocket, and like Johnny said before that, you know, they, they they're not refunding fans back, and yet they've just gone and sort of spent like thirty-five million on
1: players. Um, you know, the, let, let, the, the, let's the, not use let, let's let's not use the current situation as well as an excuse. Even you know, mm-hmm. forget the fact that it's a football club for a second, and you think about it in a business world. I, I know, I know from my profession. Using coronavirus as an excuse to not communicate, to um, to not be honest, to not set up calls, to not have a business plan, to not communicate with the customers. It's not an excuse. If anything, there is actually more of a need now and more of a reason to get on video calls, to communicate more with people because you actually can't see them face-to-face. We don't have a Saturday afternoon. You don't have a fixed date where you have a fans forum, et cetera, something like that. So the, any excuses that can be laid on, on the current situation, and, and in fact as well, when there's no football going on, I would imagine, I don't know how a football club works in and out, but I'd imagine when there's no football, football actually happening, there's more time and there's more space to actually communicate with the customers. I know that from my profession is that when you can't have a live event, you have more time to communicate with the people and your customers and your sponsors and everybody like that. And the fact that they've chosen not to do it is more symptomatic than anything else because they're making a, they're making a qualified choice. Well, they haven't, haven't got to
2: 10 to uh, 52,000 fans turning up every other week, do you know what I mean? Because obviously that, that's a lot of organisation that goes in there, um, and they haven't got that, you know? It's basically limited to the amount of staff that could be in the ground but, during a match at this at this moment in time. So, really speaking, they should have more time on the hands. But this comes down to, like, you know, with what you're saying about having a fans liaison officer. If you look at Spurs, I think they've got three people that are just support as liaison officers. So why has Newcastle United only got one that's also trying to do
1: another three or four jobs at the same time? It's it's the same in Germany. And, um, you know, we know one of the supporters liaison officers at Schalke and they have two supporters liaison officers who are full-time. They, that is their job as well. It wouldn't be what, what I've been suggesting, suggesting with the Trust or what it's like with other clubs where it is people who have jobs and they do this job in their spare time as well. There's two dedicated liaison officers at Schalke. Other clubs and bigger clubs with bigger fan bases like Bayern Munich, Grush Dortmund have three. And they meet regularly as well and they're independent of the club. So all they have to answer to is the football club. You know, they can actually be individual. It's not like the case with Lee Marshall where he can't be critical of people because actually that's his boss and he might be punished for that in the end. So if you actually compare on the continent to what it's like in the UK, it's complete utter contempt. And it's contempt at the fact that the Premier League aren't enforcing it. The Premier League must know that a lot of the supporters, liaison officers, or at least in the case of Newcastle United, is simply there as a box-ticking exercise. There's nobody following up on what's going on. There's nobody following up on fan feedback. There's nobody following up with fans on the ground. And it's complete and utter contempt. And... and Going back to what we were saying at the very start, the only people who can really push for this is people from government because they seem to be the only people who can have a um, seem to have some sort of influence over the people that are, are making the key decisions. What fans can do as a whole, I think, actually, what's come out today and what's quite important in Germany as well.
0: I mean, it seems to me that a lot of the kind of the, the machinations and the evolution of of the game since the inception of the Premier League, uh, it's really becoming stark what the the outcomes are of that since you've had uh, an attempted uh, takeover of, a, of a, a large club within that that body. Um, it's really, since we last spoke, we were saying wouldn't it be lovely if we could just come and talk about the football and it would be something that, you know, we could just normal, we could talk about the, the, the left back situation, the ongoing left back, right back situation that's been going on from time immemorial um, throughout that. And here we are again uh, talking about seemingly the same issues, Covid, no Covid. Um, of lack of communication, what fans can do, what the role of fans are. We're now talking about fans, you know, via the organisations like the FSA. We're talking about fans via globally um, in, during the trust elections. You've got candidates who are coming from all over the world. Uh, yourself in in, in Asia, uh, Europe, and uh, across the UK as well. So you know, it, it's it's just showing that this is so much more than a, a regional thing. And after all the sort of tiring geopolitics of the the, the, the summer, um, it comes back again to what fans can do. I mean, one thing that was different since um, and Sean alluded to it with the the, the reference of to the the meeting, there was a protest at the, the the Premier League um on the 6th during their AGM and there was also um alongside that the uh the, the meeting with um the the members of NUST who were in attendance. Um one big positive I suppose has been over the summer the the, the great strides that have been made in terms of fan unity and, and communication amongst various aspects of the fan base. Um, is that something that we can draw on and is that something that can be built upon going forward? I'm a big believer of this idea that what has got us here is not what's going to get us where we want to be. Um, but how, how much of that can we be actually put into practice and what can actually be done?
1: I think that with national issues like this, and this isn't this is a national issue, is
0: the most important
1: people that I want to hear from and Right now, especially with what's come out today, is Man United and Liverpool fans and their their trusts and their representative supporters because it can really go one way or the other. Um, if, if Man United and Liverpool fans can come out and, and get on board with, with, I imagine most of the other fans in the Premier League and the Football League, and say, this isn't right, and these people, irrespective of the fact that they own our football clubs, are doing something that's not in our interests and not what we want, then that takes it to the next step and that's a force for good nationally. But if Man United and Liverpool fans stay silent over the next week or two, um, which I'm sure they would. But if they then, on the other hand, come out and say something along the lines of that may be supportive of what's come out today, um, and that strikes a really dangerous precedent. And, you know, it, it gets into that. <laughs> we're talking about, you know, dividing and conquering and, and, and things like that. And, and, you know, the, the big, the big, cl- the big six clubs are, are, are big. And, and, and I don't and I mean that literally, and if they have the majority of fans in the UK, they have the majority of fans around the world, and that's essentially what fuels the Premier League, is the money and the TV rights that come from all of these fans around the world. And, and if they're on board with this and they see the positives of it, then it's very different, very different and, and very difficult for the little guys like us to um, to have a positive impact.
2: I think the best way that fans can actually unite, as it were, um, is, is really, it's, it's through the support as trust. Um, and I mean, obviously, in the last sort of couple of year the Newcastle supporters trust has seen a massive growth in members um it's you know it's numbers that really um were, we're kind of back in i think it was january 19 when we were set um sort of targets and goals of where we'd like to be um in in sort of fifteen thousand members was mentioned by myself and i said that's where i'd like to be in a year's time and it was kind of like you know sort of it wasn't i wasn't left off the laughed off the board or anything but it was. It certainly made people sort of laugh because them kind of numbers hadn't been seen before, you know. Um, and then obviously the trust within, I think, it was about eight months. Um, had actually grew to just under eight thousand members. Um, from there, they've gone on to it's it's now sort of 14 and a half thousand members for me the best way that the trust because there's no football going on um so that they haven't been able to do like sort of road shows or anything at like this moment in time the best thing that the trust can do is continue to do the online meetings across youtube and stuff and things like that Encourage as many members to to join them sort of town hall meetings or or youtube meetings um and also encourage all of the members to actually refer like a, a friend or a family member to also join I mean at the end of the day it's it's one pound for a lifetime share in the trust it's one pound membership it's not going to break the bank but what it does is it gives the fans more strength you know and, and that's been proven just in the past few months with how the club have been ignoring the fans but yet the Premier League didn't you know and this wasn't no secretary of the Premier League it was the head of the Premier League you know the CEO Richard Masters whether you, you love him or hate him or whatever you know but he did take on um everything that was said and it was taken very seriously to the point of where they got straight in touch with the club to say about refunds for last season um and th- the moved on it you know and i think that if the, the supporters trust only had i don't know a couple of hundred members i don't think they would have been taken as seriously but it's that old saying of that there is strength in numbers and the, like i mean for all I'm not part of the, the Board of NUST anymore, I would love to see in, like, a year's time that they've actually got 50,000 members, you know, because they've got then a real stronghold to say, look, we've got just as many members as what walks through the gate every other Saturday. Um, and if they can do that, you know, then... That that you know that, that becomes a, a massive voice for all of the fans. Obviously, it could be like sort of trying to herd kittens, but um, because everyone's got an opinion on on what should be happening. But the the best thing is is that when you get that many fans together, great ideas come out of that. You know, it's that all saying of many heads, like you know, all like put together, makes light of it, and you know some great things could come from it, could come from the fans and their feedback, which then helps to develop a much stronger like sort of fan base. It'll get to the point of where the club
1: cannot ignore the fans any longer. I, I agree with you, but I, I also think as well that um, I'm thinking that the best way to phrase this is football fans have been shafted for a long time now. And and I think it's all it's all well and good patting ourselves on the back foot for having a great amount of numbers and, and increasing the amount of numbers that, that we may get over the next couple of years. But at the end of the day, the time for action really is now and again what's come out the past week certainly speaks for that and i don't think it is a case of in a year's time we can get more numbers and see where we are or in three years time we may have this amount of people or xyz we have to be able to start delivering positive change for football fans and especially newcastle fans because if you actually think about it you know in the long run football fans are still getting completely shafted in every single direction there's been no—I mean, please tell me if you disagree—but there's been no improvement for football fans. It just gets worse and worse and worse across all levels. Um, even, even um, you know, an area that I'm, I'm really interested in as well—disabled fans. I'm, you know, you guys know my, you guys know my dad, so I'm I'm a big believer in what's what's available for disabled fans and LGBTQ as well. There's been fairly any progress in these areas. We've we've seen pledges. We've seen. Um, lots of, uh, what, what, what could you call them, campaigns probably is the best word. There's another two examples of areas where football fans have seen no improvements or next to no improvements, if there have been a few. And it's all very well and good, us all saying, you know, um, we've got the Premier League to, to, to get a seat at the table, etc. And that's great that we've now got that seat at the table. But over the next year and three years, we really have to start delivering. Otherwise, I dread to think what it actually looks like at the end of it. I <laughs>
0: this. I suppose this is an well, interesting well, tug, uh, thread to tug on, is the idea of ideas... What next? How this works going forward? Because I, I have been. I we've got different representatives here. I suppose we've got yourself, Johnny, who's aspiring to uh, as as a candidate to to represent the trust. We've got a former trust uh, board member here, and someone like myself who probably represents more of the 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 every fan in the sense that, you know, I I might be a trust member, um, and I'm looking on onward at this situation and thinking right that's that's great this this has happened this thing has happened we've got our foot in the door or our feet under the table whatever metaphor you want to use what's happening with that now what what are the ideas that we can take going forward because the, the issue i see with the, the 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 challenge that the trust has got is is you've got all these onlookers people like me who are very um very very passionate about the idea of newcastle united but it's very disenfranchised with the reality of it to the point of not actually attending very many games or no games anymore and then other people who are diehards every week in out you know aren't able to go at the minute because of the COVID situation, how do you represent those people and how do you can take those ideas forward and, and what ideas are <laughs> going to work for every every one of those people that you want to do? I mean, again, what got us here isn't going to get us where we want to be. So what are, what are the sort of the ideas that we need to take forward and what sort of things, maybe as yourself as a, as a candidate, Johnny, would you, would, you, would you really like to see and try and push?
1: I, I think the next steps as a board have to be clear. Um, and I don't think I don't think having having grand ideas over the next three years um will serve us well. I, I think I think we have to be very clear in the objectives that we want. And uh, you know, i I made my objectives pretty clear. I think bringing in a support as liaison officers is probably the most important thing. And I think um looking at that's for Newcastle United fans. Um and I think nationally looking at key issues, like and that also affect nearly Newcastle fans, ticket prices, um away times for football fans, uh TV times, kickoff times. Uh, shared prices. I think if we can actually start evaluating that that these are good ideas and that these are good uh, things to work on, I think that's number one. I think everybody recognises that. Number two is actually finding solutions to these problems, and that number that number two starts at working with certain people, government, journalists. Those those for me are, are your two people because. You know, I think we can demand lots from the club, but, you know, in order to get pressure from the club, I think we have, we have to go around in a circle and that's why the media and that's why the government has proved like what Sean said with the Premier League. We didn't get anything back from the club because we demanded it from the club. We had to go to the Premier League and external stakeholders to put pressure on the club because the club simply don't care what we think, which is quite sad, but, you know, that's the way it works. Those are the people that we have to go through our avenues and, and finding a solution through that, whether that be number one, actually passing policy through government. I think that for me is a big one. Um, it might seem like a wild idea, but in order to truly get anything done, policy and legislation and people signing pieces of paper actually has to be done in order to, in order to really reap the benefits of, of what we're trying to do. And, and that might sound quite idealistic, but actually in order to get things done, that has to be our aim over the next one or two years. It can't be a case of, of sitting in video calls and, and sitting in, um, sitting in meetings with ourselves, coming up with good ideas and patting ourselves on the back for coming up with good ideas, but, but ultimately getting nowhere because that's at the end of the day, that's that's failure and, and the Trust is there to represent its members and to do good for its members, which essentially are the football fans in Newcastle United. And if, if in two years we're talking about the exact same issues. I'll go back to
2: saying that I think that the best way that fans can unite is by joining the Trust. Um, I, I think it's, it's the best way, not only for Newcastle United fans, but for all football fans to get involved with their trusts as well, um, because it 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 it's the best way of actually sort of standing together. And then when things happen like what's happened the small and with what sort of Liverpool and, and Man United are suggesting to do with football and in the leagues and everything else, which is just completely ridiculous, Um, stuff like that, then it makes it easier for all of the trusts to get that feedback straight from the fans as to how they want things to develop. And they can all put out surveys, but if they don't have that database, then they can't get that information back from the fans, you know. Um, NUST has been pretty good with the surveys that they've put out, and th- to get the feedback from the fans about, like, the takeover, or season tickets, or, or whatever, you know. And then they've got that, them stats to hand, so that when, sort of, World Press or whatever is saying that Newcastle United fans are not in favour of the Saudi Arabia takeover, then Nust had the information there to say, well, actually, we've surveyed 10,000 members in our survey said, yes, they are in favour of the takeover from 80% Saudi Arabia ownership, you know, at the end of the day. So they were able to take that information and actually say to the world's press that, well, actually, you're reporting that, and that's false, because you haven't asked the fans. But we've asked the fans, and we know because he, he has the data. And that was obviously from 10,000 people that took part in that survey. Um which is massive. If other football clubs can do that, then really all of them support us trust, could put a survey out to fans asking, do you think that 20 is plenty... Is it a good idea or a bad idea? And it's a yes, no answer. And then if the majority across the country are all in favour of it, and that's not just for the Premier League games, that's for all football games, you know, like sort of with the championship and stuff, because they're still charging ridiculous amounts of money for, for fans travelling to away matches. There's no, there's no fixed tariff for their games. So, you know, the, it's the best way that the fans can actually make changes, like within the football world, as it were. So there's no point just being, having a Twitter account with even 10 or 100,000 followers on Twitter you know, and getting like 2,500 likes when you say, like, oh, um, football should be back to the people. Yeah, it doesn't get you nothing. A, a Twitter like gets you absolutely jack shit. But whereas if you actually take part in the survey and actually vote on something, then that data can be analysed, it can be used to decide on what happens. That data in, can be given to the Premier League to say, well, actually, this is what our fans want, which is what happened at the end of the day. You know, that, that information was translated direct to the Premier League to try to put pressure on them to try to push this this takeover through, to say, look, the the owner wants this sale, the fans want this sale, the buyers want to
1: buy the club, you know? I think it's it's all well and good saying it's in the rules. But when we're dealing with an owner, when we're dealing with Mike Ashley, who has absolutely no care for the rules at all, this is a guy who can't even file his accounts on time, whether he be warned five or six times. He's never abided by the rules. He doesn't abide by the rules. He doesn't care less for the rules. He essentially makes the rules himself. I think that's the next step where we have to go to is that, um, you know, we've done really well so far to to get a seat at the table, but actually, you know, if we don't actually find a way to get the club to communicate with the fans properly, and I mean properly as in on a regular monthly basis with proper questions that aren't filtered, um, then, then we're still lacking because you know, it comes back, it comes back again and it comes back to Mike Ashley and, and, and I use the point with the Premier League and that. We're still no, nowhere further forward with, with the Premier League and, and with the takeover. I don't want to talk about the takeover in terms of Saudi Arabia, but Mike Ashley's still the owner of the football club. Um, and we're still no further forward on that. We're actually probably further behind because nobody's talking about Mike Ashley at the minute. And I think for, for Newcastle fans, that's the last thing that we want. Because if nobody's talking about Mike Ashley, nobody's talking about the negative impact that he has on the football club, then then we're essentially losing the battle, in my opinion. Come
2: next week, when these elections are, are over and done with and, the, and the, the new board members are instated into the trust, then the trust needs to get back in touch with the Premier League, in my opinion, and actually yeah. push for these answers from the club. And the club need to do it. The club have, have, have signed off with the Premier League's rules that they will communicate with the fans and that they will hold regular meetings. Um, with the supporters trust it's in the rules in their partnership rules of, of being part of the Premier League that, that is what they're signed up to do so and if they're not doing it then the premier League is the only one that can pull them on that and i don't know what the consequences would be um, if they were to continue breaking the rules but surely that would and would that not be a failure on the on the part of the owners and directors of the club i think it would be um, so you know the the, need, the club needs to be made accountable for for what they're doing and if the trust aren't getting any answers direct from the club then the club then the trust needs to take it to the next step and they need to go back to the Premier League and say look we're trying and there's still no improvements the only time we've had a result was when you was got in touch with them and it's time to it's time to do that again you know and they've got to keep on pushing it that way I, I think relentless
1: with the key word there essentially I think to summarize what you're saying is that whoever does whoever is elected to the to, to the board and include Alex in that as well is have to be relentless and they really have to be relentless and they cannot stop over the next one two three years in making sure that they get answers. And and I think we we can't take an attitude of, oh, you know, we haven't heard from the club in a month, let's give them another month. We haven't heard back from the Premier League in a month, let's give them another month. Has to be relentless. Um, I think that's really the key
2: word. Speaking from, speaking from experience and I mean I've worked closely with all of the, the present board that's there and you know and have done for the past sort of year and a half and I know how much work goes in and how much work they've been doing behind the scenes. Now they might not be letting members know every time that they send an email to, to Lee Charlie or to Lee Marshall or something like that you know to say like oh we've, we've emailed the club. Um and we haven't heard a response because I you know, I don't think that that would benefit the what should be a partnership between the trust and the club. If the trust were just constantly sort of shit housed, we In the club, because the fans kind of know, in any case, how poor things are with the club. So don't think because you haven't heard the trust say, oh, we've sent the club another email, and you're not getting like a a, a weekly sort of upload from the trust saying, oh, we've emailed, we've emailed the club twice this week, and we're still waiting for a response. I mean, it's now it's time for the trust. I mean, it's down to the board, and it'll be down to the new board that's going to be sort of announced um, at the weekend coming up. That that really, it's down to them to decide what they want to do. You know, but whether or not they want to ask the fans, which is possibly a good thing to do to, to send an email out um to the fans and ask the fans what they want the trust to do you know um because at the end of the day it's it's it is the trust belongs to the fans and to the members really um before for the fans to have an actual say in what happens in the trust they must be a member so if you are a member then tell your brother tell your sister tell your mother and tell your father and get them to sign up and become a member as well um you know tell everyone tell your workmates tell your friends you know you know if, if yeah. everyone gets everyone i've got my mother signed up you know she's a member everyone i know is signed up
1: because I've, I've I've asked everyone to you know um and i've asked them to ask everyone the trust has to be still still has to be accountable to, to the members and i think no matter how many people you have one thing that, that i put in my statement actually is whenever the trust has a has a board meeting once a month that should be accountable to the members as well and they should be able to sign in Watch what the board have been up to. I don't mean discussing finances or anything like that, but find out what the board have been up to. Find out what's the current status of play. Because if you don't inform your members monthly, irrespective of whether you've you've done now or irrespective of whether you've got something to announce, you don't constantly let people know and feed them information. They'll become just as ambivalent as everybody else. Um yeah. I, if nothing goes past you for months, you forget about it. You don't think anything's going on. You think what's going on? But actually, you know, if if you sign into a board meeting once a month and you listen and you find out that the like the, the trust has been chasing the club, has been chasing the Premier League, has been chasing the media, and they've got absolutely nothing. Then your actions are—they're not directed towards the trust. Your actions are going actually. Hold on. Why is the club not doing this? Why is the media ignoring the ignoring the trust? And then you start to get even more, even even more response from doing you know, what's very little, um, <laughs> and and it, it works both ways. I think we demand honesty, communication, and respect constantly from the club, and I think that we should have to do the same to the members as well because that's the main thing that's going to get the members um rejuvenated not that they need rejuvenated right now but that'll be the thing that will keep members going and that will therefore push the trust i,
0: say, I think as a member and somebody who's looking to you know still contemplating voting and uh, and who, who to put the the tick in the or the cross or the little dot in whatever box i'm presented with i think it's you look i'm looking for somebody who's 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 got ideas to take it forward and and, and is, is looking at these individual points regarding communication honesty and this idea of tenacity you know how regularly going to contact both members and the, the the external parties that are relevant, including the club, to um, to be held accountable. I think, you know, as somebody who's backed protest in the past, some people who are willing to discuss that and not being able to uh, afraid to talk about the, the the role of protest, but also at the same time somebody who obviously has an understanding of the the, the, the match going fan and the, the the paying fan and people who who have practical ideas to take forward um on, on on both those counts and i, I suppose that, that that comes with what are the methods of communication what are the ways that we're going to be able to 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 have these these lines and channels of communication going forward to make sure that everybody's informed that everyone gets an, a, a chance to do it and i think great strides have been made but you, you, you're right in what you say there needs to be this constant there needs to be you know every there's a lot of talk about passion and there's a lot of talk about the passion for the club everybody's passionate about the club that is that that's 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 a, that's a given so whilst i respect everybody's passion involved you know you're looking at what 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 are the ideas what are we bringing forward what sort of thing can we do to, to to enact change and i i don't have the answers uh of course i don't um but this idea of are we asking the right questions of the right people feeding those answers back and, and making sure they're relevant and and straightforward and and get to the heart of the issue i think that's what i'll be looking for when i'll be casting my vote the thing
2: is is that you know from going past like going back to, to, to past years one of the things that the trust was always criticised for um, was the lack of communication and stuff and things like that. You know, I spoke to a few members that had signed up like sort of from, I think it was like seven, eight years ago or something. You know, so it was one of the things that we had set out to do was at least send a, a monthly email out, letting members know what, what's going on. And as far as I'm, I can tell, there's probably an email that goes out to members probably once every two weeks at, at minimum any communication that's been going on has vastly improved everything could always be better than what it is um i mean what people have to bear in mind is that when you've got like 14,000 plus members then sending all of them an email out all costs money, so it costs like sort of I think it's it's round about one pence per email or something, but if you're sending them emails out every week, then obviously and there's not a lot to say every week, then obviously that's costing the members that money it's coming out of the, the trust bank account to pay for them emails, if you're setting up online meetings, then the costs involved, you know, runs into thousands and thousands of pounds to set up like a big online meeting where you can have up to a thousand people attending that meeting it's something round about about like sort of four five thousand pound to set that up um i mean the trust was lucky because um mp got involved and she helped set up the town hall meetings um so they obviously had that facility already set up which was paid for and it was sitting there not essentially being used and um, so they, they were able to do two town hall meetings you know so they could actually discuss direct with fans and have an open meeting that way um i do think that it would be easy enough for for the board to record the board meetings and actually Publish them on YouTube, the costs involved in that are, are pretty slim in comparison to setting up like a, a live online meeting. But that doesn't say that they shouldn't have a live online meeting with members during this pandemic. Say if it's quarterly or something, you know, I mean, that's down to the board to decide. In any case, you know, um, anything that's going to improve communication is going to be better. Um, for me, I'm, I'm a vast believer in word of mouth in that people actually need to be telling everyone. You know, and it's, I'm kind of excited for this new board and and for everyone that's put themselves forward, because I think there's some really good, strong candidates there. Um, And it'll be interesting to see how they develop things and and obviously take things to the next level. It may thought would obviously be like sort of to second what I've what I've said and on even on Nust's website there should be a link down the bottom. I know it's like it says to refer a friend, but um there should be a link there, which I was speaking to Greg and Alex about this the other day actually. And I was saying, you know, on that link you should be able to click that link, refer a friend and then be able to either send that link via Twitter, Facebook, WhatsApp, um, you know, and, and, and send that request off to all your friends and family. And You know it it comes back to that is the strongest way to, to, to develop the trust so that in my mind that's an easy process to do you know you could double the amount of numbers within a week you could triple them you know if that work's put in there it needs a dedicated team to be involved in the trust and whether that's a small team of say three board members that are just going to work solely on increase in membership, there's two people that are just going to negotiate with the club there's, you know, within them, there's one of them that's only going to negotiate with the Premier League and it has to be delegated you know, that work that, that workload is massive like it's huge, one person needs to be doing the emails out to members, you know, and then it's, it's easy for someone just to write them emails like, well, if they go out weekly, they go out weekly, you know, and then sort of like, obviously everyone has a bit of input as to what's being said and what's, what's going on and stuff but my only criticism would be that the workload needs to be shared equally across the whole of the the trust you know um i know from the people that i have voted for um some of them i know and some of them i don't know Other than I, I kind of know them off social media and stuff you know you know I, I believe that they're the right people to to take the board forward um and it is all about taking it to the next level and you know people go like then all you're about is increasing membership well, yeah, that's the whole point of a trust A supporters as trust should have as many members as possible, you know, and they should be, they should be doubling in size, you know, they, they, they should be like just their numbers should be growing all of the time, you know, and everyone should be raving about it. You know, it's probably one of the best things that can happen to a football fan, more so now, is actually getting involved with the trust, you know, and, and even if you're just a member, you know, and you send an email with a couple of ideas of what you think should be happening, regardless of what it is, it could be that you don't like the pies at half time. Do you know what I mean? But give them, um, give them that feedback, you know, and, and let them know. It's like, because at the end of the day, that's the only way that they can take that information and then translate it to try to make some change, you know. And, and if no one comes forward and, and gives their opinions on anything, then, then basically you're just a, a bloke in an empty room shouting, you know. It's like, so. I mean,
1: you know, I, uh, I on a on a less serious note, I haven't been to St. James's for two years, but if there's any mm. football club where the pies are too hot half time, it's so McCassie and I. Have... That needs to change.
2: <laughs> well, I haven't been to St James's for oh god. I think it is. Last time I was there it was
0: round about 2006. Um, yeah. Back in 2006, I think it was. The last time I went was that horrendous three nil defeat to Leicester uh, under yeah, McLaren, yeah. and uh, yeah, it just was. I mean, we all know what happened with the McLaren spell. At that point, I was just. It wasn't because we got beat specifically. But it was like the culmination of, I can see that the rot as well and truly set in on the way that the hierarchy of this club is fundamentally acting. And I, I can't really, it, a lot of stuff had happened prior to that, you know, the renaming of the stadium and things like that. It was just very stark, stark to me. Under under that game, being in the stadium, the atmosphere as it was, I think it was it was quite palpable the way the, 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 the rot had set in, in terms of atmosphere, in terms of the culture around the club, in terms of what the ambition was what the priorities were for the club as well so um, I, I can't remember what the pies were like I don't think I had a pie that day but Do you know what I shouldn't, I'm shouldn't i not actually advocating for any passer fans to be spending money at half time
1: and giving money to Mike Ashley so don't try out the pies um, listening.
2: <laughs> Well I think um, when you're saying about McLaren there we've got the kind of echoes that are kind of very similar with Steve Bruce in my opinion and I wonder what it would be like um, because obviously we've seen some horrendous sort of tactical decisions going on with him Um I wonder what the atmosphere from the away fans would be like towards Steve Bruce. Um, I think obviously, I think if they were at the Spurs game, I think that would have been absolutely diabolical. Um, That that, that was probably one of the worst games of football that I've watched or for all watching on the telly. then what? What incredibly lucky to to come away with a point. Um, I mean, it was a, it was a travesty. Let's be honest, it was a yeah. travesty that, to the sport. I mean, really. <laughs> yeah, I know what I would I would know what I would have been like if I had been at that match like, and it, you know, it would I, I can't imagine that the atmosphere would have been particularly good at that game. Something with Brighton, um, you know, so I It just makes us wonder, well, like, what yeah. kind of he would be getting at Saint James's with with what's been going on. Because um, he is riding his luck, I would say, um, but say that, You know, he's also made some good tactical decisions.
1: And it's it, it's a bit frustrating, but we go in waves where we get very angry, and then something good happens for the first time in a long time, and it seems to to change our attitudes for the next three months, and then and then we go back into being angry again, and then and then we win the, the last game of the season four 0 or five one, and everyone's in a good mood going into the summer, and we keep going <laughs> in vicious cycles, and and it's, it's been thirteen years though of, of vicious cycles. Um, if if you think back to all of the Terrible performances or, or games where you've been angry at the owner or angry at the manager. It, it, it isn't enclosed in a two or three year period. It goes mm-hmm. back literally over 13 years. I, I even remember when Ashley first stood in the ground in the way we end. We played Stoke away uh, in the cup and then we played Stoke in the championship. It was 0-0. It was absolutely terrible. We should have got beat about 4 or 5-0. And the fans were even then were, were livid. And um shouting all sorts of things at Ashley. And I'm and I'm convinced to that day that that's the reason why Aladice got the sack was because of the reaction of the fans to Ashley in the OEM um mm. on that particular day. But these things that I over, he then appoints Kevin Keegan um and then people are happy again or he <laughs> spends a little bit of money in the summer, people are happy again. He's Benitez comes in, people are happy again. Um I, I think I was do- two years ago when mm-hmm. that that, that, I- that the, the, the best example I the best example of this was um the January a couple of years ago, I was working in London, and we'd been awful. Benitez was a manager, but we we'd been absolute dog shit. We hadn't signed anyone; the club weren't signing anyone. Benitez looked like he was about to resign. Um, literally, you know, even even the Chronicle was starting to get on Ashley's back again. That's how bad it was. And um, <laughs> and then in in the space of the same day, we signed we signed down there on and we beat Man City, uh, two one on the night time. And all of a sudden, it just takes one thing, and everyone's positive again, and everyone's just got that little bit of hope back in it. And it just uh. You just back up in the air again, and you don't know where you
2: stand. There, mm-hmm. it is a roller coaster, isn't it? At the end of the day, Um we take like almost a trackless roller coaster. You've just got no idea <laughs> if it's going to go <laughs> off the edge of the cliff. Do you know what I mean? If it's going to take yeah. you into the clouds, it is crazy. Um I don't know. For me, I think Mike actually, his love affair with the club started to to go when the fans weren't happy when he changed the name of St James's Park. You know, and and that's when I think he thought, then I don't like news anymore. You know, I think that was his main turning point because he's a person that doesn't like to be told no. I hope that he is serious about selling the club and not that the Premier League have said no um, to this takeover or anything, but I do hope that sort of if he wants that, then he's the sort of person that will make sure that it happens. You know, And I hope that he does. It'll be the first time that he's delivered on anything that he's said in 13 years, to be perfectly honest. you know, Time will tell. I don't see that he's going to be in a major rush to sell. He might be what's been called a willing seller but he still owns it. And until he's gone, nothing's going to change.
1: Uh, I, th- I think we, we have to have a better a better attitude than that. And, and you know, I, I speak to a lot of people who say, well, you know, he's not going to sell it until he wants to sell it. And I think Newcastle fans have to do all we can to put him in a position where owning this football club is a hindrance. I don't think, you know, whatever we'll will put him in a position where, where, where we're losing money for him, or, or he looks in his bank account and he sees that owning Newcastle United. Um is is affecting his coffers, but I think you know with real effort and, and with with um with a group determination of, of of different things we can get to a position one day where where he thinks that it's not worth the effort.
2: The only weakness that he has really is greed you know at the end of the day and yeah. like money is is his is his thing you know that's what he that's what he is the chaser of the fans are still paying. You know, for a product that they're not receiving, and if it, if it were me personally, I would have cancelled me direct debit. You know, I know like fans don't want to lose the loyalty points and and stuff that they've collected up. But, you know, it, really speaking, it, it's it's an incredibly greedy decision from the club to continue taking payments for tickets off fans. Um, there's a lot of people that's, you know, lost work. Um, they've lost family and relatives and friends, you know. So but, in, uh, while all this is going on, they're still being charged by the club for a product a, that they are not
1: even. This is the thing, and, and again, um, I can't believe that there isn't enough uproar about the club essentially stealing money from fans. Yes. Um, you know, it's for me. You know, I haven't. I I don't have a season ticket anymore, so I haven't read the fine print. But I I I work in a profession where we're dealing with contracts and things like that all the time, and what we do do not provide for our clients and customers. And for the club to not provide a service that they're promising to customers, speaking from a business point of view, and to continue to charge them for it, is is. Incredible. I, I don't know how legally they get away with charging for a service that you've contractually not provided.
2: That's crazy. Do you think, I know that obviously like you obviously held your season ticket for a long time, and obviously your dad held his season ticket for years and years, and even your granddad was involved with the club and everything, wasn't he? And, but do you think, obviously, you packed in your ticket? I know that you are annoyed with the way that the club was being run, but fundamentally, did you pack your season ticket in because you your, your new job in Singapore was taking your life out there. Do, do you think that if you weren't in Singapore, would you have continued renewing your season ticket or would you have also still packed in?
1: Um, honestly, I my dream when I was little, apart from playing for Newcastle, when I got to about 15 or 16, all I wanted to do was be able to make enough money to pay for my own season ticket. Um, and I did that when I was 22. Um, started paying for my own season ticket and I was so happy to do that. I queued up outside the ground on season ticket day, at seven in the morning, just like the time me and you met with Kevin Keegan. Um, yep. And was so happy. I went in, I got my seat in the gallery, all I'd ever wanted to do. Um, and I sat there for that first year by myself. Absolutely brilliant, to be honest. I enjoyed it despite being a, a, somewhat of a hypocrite saying that people shouldn't go to the money, Might actually. And then about halfway through the second season, I, I realised that I was working my arse off and of paying all this money to to give to someone who could not care less about me and mm-hmm. and I didn't have an issue with it when I was young and my dad was paying for my season ticket but actually when it got to the point that I was working my arse off 9 or 6 every day and getting a wage and then I was giving you know, £700, £800 of that wage to the football club I could not justify giving that money to Mike Ashley um, as much as I love Newcastle and I love watching the team play um, I just couldn't justify using what was my own money or my own bank account to give to Mike Ashley i mm-hmm. I still conscious not now
2: I don't know what it was. It was all like, in the at the time, it was like, oh, he's a reclusive billionaire. And then a, a few weeks later, he was stood there with a tune on top on, down in the pint in like nine seconds. And I was like, he doesn't seem like very much of a recluse, this person. Do you know what I mean? He's not like Howard Hughes, is he? Do you know what I mean? At the end of the day, he yeah. was like, he was there in the stand, and and, and everything seemed to be rosy and cosy, you know? And then, like I said before, when he, he changed the name of St. James's Park, um, and... People were not happy about it, you know, and that was being protested and everything and stuff like that. Um, and essentially he was being told by the fans, no, we don't like this, you know, change it back. And that's when, for me, that's when his little love affair started to change. And there was a few things that was that was happening, you know. And then he, when he did sign Kevin Keegan, and I thought, oh, is is this is this the change that we've been waiting for? Is it now going to happen? But then Keegan was just rubbish, wasn't he? On on the players that he wanted to bring in, there was no, he wasn't allowed to bring in the sign-ins and he was being given players and. Has to be like look at YouTube to see what this player could play like and stuff, and it was just like you know, it was absolutely insane. And then Keegan was then sacked, you know, and it's just like Shea brought in, you know, was another who should have been great. And then, but he was only given till the end of that season, I think it was like eight or nine games were, were relegated, and he never continued to keep Shea on, never never ever phoned him or spoke to him again. Do you know what I mean? It's just like it's just bizarre. It's, it's, it it's yeah, he's got the he had when he bought the club, he had. A really nice football stadium that was being well maintained and looked after. Had a great fan base to build on, um, a great support network within the fans, and he's absolutely destroyed it, you know. And it's just like the way he's done it, it's been nasty, you know, like sort of renaming Shiva's ball, renaming St. James's Park, moving the kids up from where they were all the way up to level seven, moving people around from where they've sat the season ticket holders for years. Do you know what I mean? I remember Shiite Seats. Um, all sort of kicking off, you know, the amount of dirty stuff that he's done, you know, and and it's just like as if he's doing it intentionally to be nasty, you know, like he, like you did. know, ah, it's 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 bizarre, it's almost twisted, you know, and then like and like he's so thick-skinned with it, you know, because he doesn't care, and and he's a narcissist, you know, and, and most narcissists are, are pretty like sort of. A bit psychotic, let's say, you know, like they've definitely got a, the realms of the psychopathic gene running in them. And I think he's one of them. I, he just doesn't care. You know, he's just he's so thick skinned, you know, to have like sort of like, you know, 40 or 50,000 fancy and get out of a club. You fat cockney. i am um, not saying the swear word, but everyone knows what I'm alluding to. And to have that many people singing that to you week in week out, and to sit there and just smile about it—that <laughs> takes—that is, you know, that's indifferent. You know, he's not getting the message, is he? By the fans, when everyone's just saying, "Just sell, just go," do you know what I mean? No one wants to hear. Yeah. And, and now he's saying that he doesn't want to be there. You know, but he's been saying this for nearly a decade now. You know, it's like I think it's 11 and a half years that that club's actually been up for sale during his ownership, and he's never managed to sell. But yet he can sell a pack of free socks for four quid day in day out do you know what I mean he's, he's, he is actually a good salesman you know if he wants to sell wow. he's donning his donning socks or whatever he, he knows how to sell them he knows how to sell a tat you know and he's unfortunately he's turning the club into tat you know and so maybe that's his idea maybe he just wants to turn into a complete a tat and then he'll be happy selling it with him at the helm so, unfortunately it's just the road to hell it's tat now so let's hope he does sell it certainly whoever comes in to buy the club they're not buying what he bought you know um, really speaking because all of the properties and the land that was owned by the club He's already assets stripped all outside off, you know, only in his pocketed money for left, right, and centre. Within merchandise, there definitely needs to be a cap on the price of replica kits as well. It's absolutely unbelievable. ridiculous. Yeah, it is crazy. You know.
0: Um I suppose it's comes I'm, back down to fans having a tipping point though, doesn't it? And making sure that, you know, what what, what actions do they take when they reach these various points. Do, if you want better representation, do you do you protest? Do you, do you join the trust? Do you make a stand on on some sort of not in principle, even if it's just something as simple as you know, there's lots of different versions of Newcastle shirts out there. You can you can yeah, get without yeah. getting the different sorts of things. Even if it's that, it's 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 making a it's making a stance on something. And I actually think he's he's I I don't I don't I think you he think Mike Ashley's not very thick-skinned at all. He's just not very contrite about anything. I think he takes everything very very to heart. Yet will quite happily react in kind, and mm. and 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 be quite vindictive of, of, about things. I think there's an element of sort of business ruthlessness in there. But I mean, he's reacted. At most occasions, when when Rafa said something, or you know, there was the instances where there was the the the, the protests at Parliament, and then there was a takeover uh, announcement the same evening. Um, there was things that were said at, at uh, various certain games where there was a, a statement made the next day. Um, I do think there's there's been instances instances where he's be, been given a bloody nose, and I think mm-hmm. that that's sort of flashpoints where that that idea of making him feel like it's not worth it has 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 been close, but it's never actually got to the point where it speaks in a language that he understands which is of course greed and money and and you know he doesn't he doesn't deal in sentiment at the end of the day which is what a lot of that's the the big dichotomy is that football fans do we're all about sentiment we're all about heritage we're all about history and we're all about wanting to be seen to value that but that's where the that's where the clash of ideals comes and until that paradox is is is, is sorted out i don't i don't see you know this idea that it's we go through these cycles of a good thing happening every so often and then you know you just get a a, a maelstrom of shit for a couple of years and then you know, it, it spikes again, and and we get a new manager, and they come in with supposedly new ideas, but get treated the same as every other guy. Um, mm-hmm. And and then to to expect any different, I don't I don't see whatever it is, whatever ac- action you've got to take. I don't know where, where does the where does the tipping point come? And, and even if it is right, I, I must join the trust. I'm, I'm not going to buy shirts anymore. I'm not going to attend games. Whatever it is that that has, has to be a stance taken, however small. Mm-hmm. I think. I
1: I think that that's that's the main point why um I'm running for the trust is. I I strongly believe that nothing good can happen at Newcastle United and nothing positive can come at Newcastle United as long as Mike Ashley is the owner of the football club. Um, I I don't see anything changing while he is the owner. I don't believe that there is um, much room for compromise with Mike Ashley. I don't see any room for negotiation with Mike Ashley. I don't see Mike Ashley changing his business model anytime soon. I don't see Mike Ashley changing his forms of communication anytime soon, which is... Which is why, if at every single corner and every single junction and every single decision that we make, I think we always have to come into to the argument of of how is this ultimately going to impact the running of the football club? Um, because for me, that is the absolute be all and end all at the moment.
0: Yeah, I think that probably sums it up nicely. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'll agree.
1: Do want, yeah. one, um, one one quick question because uh, we got asked this by Chris Watt, and he asked me before the press recording, which I assume he did with everybody, but um if he'd asked me live, I would have been embarrassed. Um your worst and favourite Newcastle games that you've been in? Ah, I like this question.
2: I heard it was, I thought it was, because I heard that podcast, I thought it was Alex Hurst that I had asked that. Um, my worst game, and it's a game, um, the reason why was, it was Alan Shearer's last season, and the weight of Sunderland. Oh, I'm guessing. I and then the, and the Donny's leg, and, I, and he was on 206 goals. At that moment in time, he had broke Milburn's record, and that was just absolutely phenomenal. Um and it was like he was out then for the rest of the season. And I know that within them games that was left, he you know, he could have got he would have got more goals. It, it just to just to completely, you know, raise the bar um on, on the amount of goals that he got. And and for the rest of that season, like he, he was he was out and he was unable to play and that so for that reason, um I
1: hated that match. I went in that game with my mate and with my dad in the Sunderland, and my dad used to always used to always go to every single game, but my dad didn't have enough loyalty points for some games, so we'd go and sit in the home end and we'd be quiet. But that particular game, I went into Sunderland, and uh, I was really worried about it. I was only about ten years old, so I stuck my Atletico Madrid shirt on, so I put a jumper, around, <laughs> the red and white, I stripes put my Atletico Madrid shirt on, <laughs> and I had I had Atletico Madrid shirt, the red and white stripes hanging out underneath, so everyone could see that I was I was a Sunderland fan, and. Uh, and anyway they went they went one nil up and, and the guy next to me picked me up and kissed me on the cheek. Um and and I felt sick and I said to my dad after the game says, I'm, I'm never doing that ever again. And we've ne- I promise you, we've never sat in the home end. You know my dad, he still sits in the home end. Never sat in the home end ever again.
2: It's horrible being in the home end is not watching the match. And then it's worse, if, like when Newcastle score in like can you got a the home end
1: and you're sitting there on your hands smiling inside and you know what like well. yeah. Newcastle fans are like as well Newcastle Just... fans go mad when they score a goal as well so you've got to sit and look at all your mates <laughs> in your hands.
2: it's funny man uh, but sometimes needs must you know and at the end of the day every fan has done it you know but it's in so I think everyone appreciates what that's like I don't know if every fan's gone to uh, to stadium of shape, I broke a wearing the Athletic Coal Madrid top. <laughs> Johnny, that's, that's, that's a different kettle of fish altogether. That like, but uh, I so that that was that was for me. It was just heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking to know that because I never went down. You know, he got some horrendous tackles in, but like you know, when he went down, you know, it you just knew that he he was in pain and he he was out. You know, in from to take his knee out. But I was just. I don't know, it was just that thing. For me, heartbreaking. Um, do you know one of, one of the best games? actually um, Rafa's last game, uh, Fulham. And it was just a, it was just a great day. Um, it was a lovely day. The night before, had, there was a load of fans down um, and went out, um, had a proper skin full. It was just a full-on weekend. I think I went out on Friday and I didn't come back until um, sort of, I think it was like 8 o'clock in the morning, Monday. So in that, I think Fulham 4-1. Um, in Rafa and Rondon walking off the pitch, and everyone singing to Rondon and Rafa. Mike Ashley and Lee Chongnyi were there as well, and he knew, and he they were sitting there watching, like how much we were just It was just a lush party atmosphere. London, for me, felt like being back at home and being out in the town, because wherever you went that weekend, there was just Jouries everywhere, like in you know that, like they were well, down on the Thames and everything celebrating down there. And in in London became. It, like, sort of in Newcastle Party Town. So, that's for me, it was just brilliant because, like, like it was just, I don't know, end of season, it was perfect weather, it was a perfect result. They played a brilliant game um, and everything felt right. And it felt like the club had to sign Rondon. Why would they not? You know, he had received the honor of, like, player of the year. He was putting the ball in the back of the net. Rafa was finally getting the right people. He had the, the goalkeeper right, the defensive sort of play was right, midfield was right, the attacking was just starting to come into its own. Um, I wasn't a fan of Perez, I must admit, because I just found him too too much of it a lazy bloke, for a young bloke walking around a lot of the time with his hands on his hips so he used to annoy us. But Rondon were, was someone that was coming in and getting goals um, so I could see that he was slowly but surely for the finances that he was giving, he was building something better. It was amazing to, to see Alan Shearer breaking Milburn's record, to be fair, um, in St James's Park was just, like, the singing towards Alan Shearer on his last season was just phenomenal. That ground was just amazing. Someone went, was-
1: down, uh, someone went down injured five minutes after he scored as well. And uh, they were down for about a couple of minutes, and that was an amazing atmosphere. What's yours, Jim?
0: But probably the top one, as to, strikes my mind, is probably the Villa demolition at home, where John mm-hmm. Carew missed the penalty initially. Which is still probably in space somewhere, and then um, <laughs> uh, and then we'd also we met um, the parents of one of the Villa players at the at the start of the the game because we, we used to play with my brother, and uh, you know, I'm from the West Midlands, so you know there was tons of Villa fans to go back and and have bragging rights, and they're a pretty awful club anyway, aren't they? So it was it was it was just absolute just there's some photos of me dad just you know the celebrations the sort of little moments turning round. Mm. Here, in, here in the there was a look, just a really good like atmosphere that day and then it carried on just the, the the rest of the kind of day trip up and then i remember one of the worst experiences was the game actually never happened i came up for uh, a game against charlton
1: charlton at christmas
0: time at christmas time and yeah. the, we, i remember being sat in the stands and the <laughs> snow coming down and the mm. game being called off for transport reasons having to having to go back down to the midlands and i mean i can't imagine the charlton fans would have had to go further anyway so i can imagine the i can't imagine it's safe for them to go back so that that was pretty rotten but one in particular was um i remember blackburn away and we didn't get in until half time and i think it was two all and robert had scored we missed both of the newcastle goals and saw the equalizers and i remember walking in the fast lane of the m1 uh just for something to do um just 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 prior to getting to the to, to ewood park so that was that was Probably that was pretty terrible experience. That just to just to see both Blackburn goals just travel all the way. That (laughs) (laughs) I've just I've just remembered. You know another one, but I wasn't
2: actually at this match. um, But Newcastle Barcelona, the seventeenth of September. Um, on the 16th of September, it was my 21st birthday, and um, a few months prior to that, this was before the scheduling for the Premier, for the Champions League had been announced. And Oasis um, were playing at the Newcastle Arena, and we're playing two nights. and We're playing the 16th of September, and we're playing on the 17th of September. So, when the tickets were like out on sale, we queued up for tickets to me and my brother. And basically, um, I said, We've got to get them for the 16th, for would have been my 21st birthday. So, on my 21st birthday, I went to see Oasis. Um, I think it was on a Tuesday night. And then on, I'm sure it was on the Wednesday night. Um, we played Barcelona. And Tina was hat trick. That was just phenomenal. We tried getting tickets for that, but obviously just couldn't get them for love and the money. Um, there was no way that anyone wasn't going to be, like, sort of passing on a ticket for that, you know, and we'd, we'd try getting tickets for that match and couldn't. we ended end up being in town, well, like, that week was me 21st, so it was a, a party week, to say the least. Um, in town and across Heaton, watched the match, um, and it was just phenomenal. And I just remember watching Tina's, Tino's two, headers, with Gillespie's run down the wing, and it, I watched it, like, in slow motion, for what I was watching on the telly. But it was just, in for how fast Gillespie was, I remember just watching it and it seemed like it was in slow motion and there were two very, very similar goals. And the, and I just, and even now I can still see them in my mind and I still see them in slow motion. And it was like, I don't know, have you ever seen the film, The Great Escape or whatever? It's not The Great Escape, but, uh, that football one where Pelly Escape does
1: the
2: Escape the victory, that's the one. Um, and Pelly does the overhead kick and then it shows you time and time again and it shows you in slow motion. And that's how I saw Tino's goals. So that
1: one was just a phenomenal game. I don't think anyone... My dad said... My, my, my dad said if because uh, people do it, people do those things all the time. Like the best atmosphere and the best game. And he said mm. that if if anyone uh, he said that if um if that's not the best game and the best atmosphere that you've ever been to, um then you weren't at the you weren't at the game. Any any other game, uh you know Man United five I Think some people talk about like best atmosphere, not not in Forest, um Portsmouth, uh Keegan's return and stuff. Says doesn't compare. If if that's mm-hmm. not your favorite game, like that last game, good. then you just you weren't at the game.
2: The noise coming out the St James's Park, because like I say, I mean, we weren't lucky enough to get tickets for that. Um, we were lucky enough to get tickets for Oasis the night before. Oasis actually played on that Wednesday night as well, and Liam what? Gallagher wore Keith Gillespie's uh, top. So he had his long sleeve top on while he was on stage on that, that same night. While, uh, and he was giving the scores out to the crowd. We had a couple of friends that was going that night, and he was telling them he was keeping an eye on the score and letting them know the score
1: of Barcelona and stuff. The town was just buzzing. One last thing as well, what is it? Now that you've mentioned that, what is it with the council and organising concerts? on the same night as big Champions League games. I don't know if either of you went into Milan at home a few years later, but there was a Craig David concert on that night. <laughs> Craig <And> David! <laughs> I, ga- I guarantee you, 15,000 people by the time they got into the ground, we were 2-0 down, Olivia had been sent off, because there was such massive queues because Craig David had a bloody concert on at the arena and no one could get over the bridge.
2: <laughs> Great David ruined everyone's experience. Yeah, I, bet, <laughs> I could imagine he's ruined everyone's experience inside do we I think as well, terrible. Um, Johnny, I just want to wish you all the best for the the coming elections. I think if anyone's listening and if they haven't voted, um, it would be nice if if they could give you a vote. Um, I think you'd be a good addition to the board. Um, I also I think that the you know I've said there's a very strong um list of candidates uh, to choose from. Everyone gets up to five votes. Um, to be fair, I could have done with seven or eight. Um, unfortunately, only had five as well. So it was a tough call. Um, but I've, I've, I've chose who I think is going to be right for, for taking the, the trust to the next level. And I hope that everyone else listening, um, has done the same. Um, really speaking. So yeah, all the best of luck. Um, I'm sure that. If you don't go elected, and likewise for all the candidates, I'm sure that NUST will want to work with all of these candidates going forward. And there's a, there's a great deal of talent that, that the Trust can tap into
0: there, regardless of who's elected onto the board this year or not. Um, if we have the final yeah. word from Johnny, uh, just uh, any fi- uh, Springer's final thoughts kind of vibe? Four.
1: Um I think it's something emotional. Um, <laughs> no, uh. I, I think that the main thing for me and I, and i hope every all of the other um candidates are the same is that you know it would be great to, to be on the board but at the end of the day we just want newcastle United to be um to be a football club again and um all i hope is that the people that do get put on the board is um give give 100% and and like we said before are relentless in um in making sure that they do they do good for newcastle fans they do good for football fans nationally and um and, and hopefully put more pressure on the football club to, to to do the things that are right um i know that i'll do that and and, and even if I'm not voted um, I really hope that whoever is can, can do that because you know it's, it's not really about me it's, it's about the football club cause that's, that's all we really care about and that's the only thing that's going to keep us up well for me at two o'clock in the morning anyway um, it's not
0: for me it's just I love of the football club Yeah, and uh, thanks for your time and thanks for listening everybody for now it's over and Ashley out bye for now